Welcome to Reboot Republic, the podcast that goes behind the headlines and looks at the big issues in this republic of inequality. We are the podcast of solutions and the podcast of hope, and I'm your host, Rory Hearn. I'm delighted to be joined back on the podcast today by Killian Woods, who's senior business reporter with the Sunday Business Post. Killian, it's great to have you back. Good to be back, Rory. Yeah, it's been a while um, since we've chatted, a lot, a lot of water under the bridge. The housing crisis looks like it's going to be solved now very shortly. Um, we have it's not important 30... anymore, apparently, isn't it? What it's did not, you say? Not, it's not important anymore, according to the Sindo. That's well, not well that's it fairness. as well. Yeah, second <laughs> to uh, a cost of living crisis, and of course, uh, no connection between them whatsoever. No, not at all. Not at all, Rory. <laughs> I would say no, but surely they're the exact same thing. Um, well, they absolutely are in so many ways, particularly if you're a renter. Um, but just you know, it's the, we're in an incredible situation now. Just before we we start, I want to um, say to listeners that we are completely funded by our patrons, by our listeners. So if you are a patron, thank you so much for supporting us and to keep the show on the road. We are a podcast produced by Tortoise Shack Media by Tony Groves, um, and it is independent media. We get no sponsorship, no ads. We're completely reliant on you. So if you can, please Go over to patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack, become a patron, sign up for what you can each month, help us keep the lights on, keep producing Reboot Republic. We know there's lots, thousands of listeners out there and there are many of you supporting us and thank you. Um, And we know not everybody is in a position to to do so, but if you can, please um, help us sign up and you get the podcast first into your inbox and um, yeah do see see if you can support us um, and thank you to those who are um Killian, yeah no seriously in terms of um the housing crisis it is ongoing we obviously have a cost of living crisis now as well as we said completely related particularly in terms of rents um but also in terms of inequalities around housing conditions and costs and energy costs um but what's your assessment of where we are in terms of the crisis. My sense is that we're seeing, and the government is claiming, um, and claimed in its most recent housing for all, that you know we've thirty thousand commencements. We could have in the region of twenty-four to twenty-six thousand homes completed, and um, this year possibly increasing to twenty-eight thousand the year after. Um, there, there is a supply coming on board. Um, it is it's important to point out that you know at least. Half of the new homes in Dublin being built are being delivered by investment funds, largely to rent, either um, for private renters or um, being bought by local authorities and housing associations. A quarter of houses, quarter of new homes nationally, and that is likely to increase in proportion. Now, the thing is, we don't have the figures on that. The CSO does not gather statistics on properly in terms of you know who is delivering the new homes where what are they becoming and um, which is a real issue but the supply that's coming on on stream two points i'd, I'd make killian is one it's not enough that if we look at the, the demand that is out there this the housing need that is out there probably when you add up the deficits you're probably talking we need in the region of maybe sixty thousand homes a year and um, then also a lot of it is not affordable and therefore, will it lie vacant? You know, people are just going to pay higher rents. That we're, it's not really going to solve the affordability crisis. What's your sense of it? Yeah, I think uh, it, it was. It came up when I was talking to um, 
something something across my mind when I was talking to Ian Mulhern last year. So he's uh his title right. He's there, he's with the Tony Blair Institute anyway, but he's I think their chief economist there. Yeah. He's, he's he's looked at affordability and price and how supply and demand we're going to talk about supply and demand very quickly, but supply and demand in housing and what kind of drive is affordability maybe is a better way to put it in housing. And kind of at the end of our talk was, was I listened to him and, and hearing out and he was explaining through his research. It kind of I, I put to him and he, 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 that is it actually possible for governments to solve housing? So we've got like you know last week, I also the week before, there was a big furore made about announcing a housing for all update, progress update. Now I think that coincided with the fact that they saw the government saw there was some figures they could hang positivity on. You know, yeah. there's the, the, that there's I wonder how many housing for all up, progress updates there will be going forward if the figures don't don't show it so all of a sudden ministers diaries are clear there was then obviously there was a briefing with the press beforehand there was a big report release that was usually when rebuilding ireland did those two they were kind of published quietly because it wasn't really showing much and then you see Eamon ryan leo Varadkar, michael martin all stand at the top of the table kind of saying this is great but can governments actually so can the government the irish government particularly um solve this crisis it's kind of hard, <clears throat> hard to see how they can if they're not in control of much of the market in that they are yes buying a lot of social homes which i think you brought up in your own podcast with tony and um, when you're talking about the progress update for housing for all they're buying a lot but if they're buying a lot they're not developing them they're they're yeah. the end purchaser so if you're not a developer with a significant, and they are they are sort they're they are building some. It's not saying it's all all been bought or leased, but there that there's some that they are building, but they're building such a minuscule amount. How can they actually drive affordability? How can they actually solve the housing crisis? Like really, what would that what we need now is them them to building them. And it's, it's, I see it feels like a broken record to keep saying it, but really all the all the research, all of the findings, all the trends we're seeing point towards that they need to build their own, but if they're not building their own, like I'd be interested to hear your view on that. Like, can they actually solve it if you're not like if you're not really partaking in it? Like they're just like us, really. They're just the end. They they just buy more than the individual purchaser, but they are just a purchaser in the market, really, because they're building so few. Yeah, I think it's a core point um, because their argument, and if you listen to the language, it's and it you know it has been and and it was the same. Um, doing research at the moment back at the Celtic Tiger and what happened then um, and it was all the mantra was the same it's all about supply that this you know we need to get a supply up being supply from the private market um, and that that will bring down prices but of course we saw from the Celtic Tiger that that doesn't work and if you actually hear the economists the property economists they say they have this qualification which says all things being equal supply will bring down prices. And that is an important qualification because what they're actually saying there is that if the what what's the idea is well if you increase supply and then there's more available then you know people this will reduce prices. But the problem that's assuming that you've a fixed demand in a certain way. But the problem with and and I and it was fascinating looking back at the figures. Did you know the central bank was did analysis in 2007 of the last two years of the Celtic Tiger. And they reckon that between a third and a half of all homes that were built in the last two years of the Celtic Tiger were bought by landlords as investment properties, which is an incredible figure. 
And what it shows is that the same thing is happening now, that if you have this supply, but if you also have then all of it, or not all of it, but a very significant portion being bought by investor funds, not people looking to get a home, it's like you have this endless demand that is just pushing it up, up the prices. So prices will keep going up. So I think that there is a problem in that they're not in control of that. And not only are they not, well, in some ways they are in control of it because they're giving the tax breaks to the investment funds to encourage them in here. They're allowing new rents to be set at whatever the market rent is. But, but the returns are so good, the tax returns, uh, the, ta- like the tax benefits, of course, are nice, but the, the returns are so good, the tax, but I don't think that would deter them. I, I, I'm not so sure, because if you talk, if you were to put it, your investment over 30 years, and if your tax, of course, it depends on what tax is brought in, but if you brought in some sort of significant tax, that would reduce the level of return on it. Then, of course, you know, as an investor, you're going to be going, mm, I'm not quite sure if I want to go in here because I'm not, you know, this isn't the same level of return. And also, I do think that if you look at it now, if you have investment funds coming in now, they're essentially buying at the height, the top of a market or getting close to the top of a market. So it's more expensive. They make less profit coming in now because they're buying expensive land. It's, you know, they're, they're, are they're buying more expensive apartments than, for example, Heinz, Kennedy Wilson's, all those who've been in here since the, the original vultures from 2011, 2012, that they are making the money because they own the land when it was cheaper and, you know, can build and therefore are making more profit. Um, but I wonder, is there a saturation point coming from investor funds that they go, mm, I'm not quite sure, you know, we've all these apartments coming on stream. Um, I don't know. I, I wonder that. Then, yeah, uh, and I, what I can't wrap my head around at the moment is um, some people like reminding me when they say, "Oh, this is fully let. Look, this new apartment block is fully let." And I'm like, "That's interesting." I actually don't. I'm not saying they're lying. I'm not saying they're fudging the numbers. Like, there's there's no doubt. For a long time, there were there were a, a lot of new build apartment blocks in you know, maybe two years ago. Kind of between, let's say, five years ago and two years ago, there was a, a huge amount of new builds that were lying vacant some of them are filling up now even capital dock and that's a marquee one that is filling up but i don't know who these tenants are i really don't see where they're coming from i don't know who who's able to afford these sort of rents maybe maybe this is the circle i'm in but i would say i'm quite middle class in in, in my my position i don't have friends in similar paid jobs and the higher paid jobs who are interested in them they're looking to buy homes so I, i I would be, I'd be agree with you. Where is the and there must be there's always a saturation point with these sort of things. But then again, I was talking to a student accommodation provider last week or a manager, I mean, and they're saying that their student beds are completely fully let, and they're they're charging between two hundred and thirty and three hundred and seventy euro a week for their bed for their bed spaces per week, you know, uh, and they're saying they're they're full occupancy. I don't know who's letting these things. I, yeah, I, really don't. I, I think it's a real love to, I think we need some real research on who who they are. Like, if it is transient workers and they're coming in and they're paying that, you know, we should know that. We should really know. But I really don't know who's renting these apartments and what's Griffith Avenue, Griffith Wood. What's the one? Griffith Wood. Um, yeah, Griffith, Griffith Wood, Wood is the new development. Who? Like, some of those are being less, and I just can't wrap my head around. I'm, I'm trying to be open and honest here. Who would pay that price and not try to buy or? Who can long term afford that price, and then isn't flushed out of the city when they're not in, I say this like kind of a who when they're not an economic unit for the city anymore, are they flushed out because they can't afford their 
expensive rents. I just, yeah, I'm, I'm finding my head hard to wrap around. I, I think we can't understand saturation until we know who's, who's renting these places. Yeah. And, and I think the question, of course, is, is, you know, we know how bad the crisis is out there. And so people are being pushed into desperate situations. And so therefore, you know, families, couples who, who can't afford to buy and don't qualify for social housing, that they are being pushed into paying rents, which are absolutely astronomical. Um, and I think that is where probably the market is coming from um, and professionals who are probably as well, you know, um, you know, doubling, tripling, quadrupling up. Do you know what I mean? That, you know, there's people house sharing with numbers that they're probably net, not letting the landlord know how many people are actually in the house, that there's overcrowding going on, that there's people in their 30s, 40s, 50s sharing that, you know, that is the other thing that when we talk about numbers, and, you know, I talk about potential saturation. On the other hand, then I kind of go, well, actually, the level of need is so high that, the, you know, and the lack of supply has been so low. And if I'm on the other hand saying, well, actually, we would need to be producing 60,000 homes to actually meet the demand that therefore there probably is enough demand to keep it going, to push people into it um, and force people to pay these prices because people need homes. And that's what the investor funds know. And once they people can't buy a home then they have no choice but to rent if they're going to become, you know, independent adults and move out of home at some point. And that's where we're taking maybe that there, there are people who are living in those, and this is the all things with equal nonsense, but we're taking, though there are people, let's say, take for granted, though those apartment blocks, some of them are filling up and some they are, there are people going in who can afford them, willing to pay that, pay that amount of money to live in the, those homes. That doesn't mean we haven't reached a different, that doesn't mean we haven't reached a tipping point where they're unaffordable because Really, it's not. That's not, saying they're unaffordable. Saying what that we're not that it, we're not in the crisis is not about just whether the homes are being filled or not. It's I think the perfect example of showing how broken the system is is that Google are looking to lease homes or get, get give homes they have to an AHB because they see and then they want to prioritize nurses and guardy and teachers to go into those homes because they can't because they see it just a threat to their business. That is, I think that that's a, that sort of stuff has been normalized and I can't wrap my head around it. It is absolutely insane that Google is trying to provide affordable housing for key workers because A, it's an, it's an admission that they're not paid enough because they can't afford to live in the city. And it's an admission that they're, they're going, Google is saying, oh crap, we're not going to have nurses and Garty and teachers in our studios anymore. We're not able to live there. Like that's, I think that's bonkers that we're getting to a stage where not even people are recognizing that as a like it's it it was in the paper a few weeks ago that they're you know talking about a deal but no kind of commentary around isn't this crazy yeah you know yeah no i, I completely agree i think it is again you know it's a thing of what becomes normalized and I, and I have this feeling that and this this fear runs through me that things are this level of crisis is becoming normalized and it becomes embedded as just accepted and you know, as you say, when those sort of things are said and there's no real reaction, you go, hang on a minute, what's happening here? Um, and, you know, the, the other thing that I was thinking of when you were asking who who is renting it, well, sure, you pointed out yourself in, in your article on the weekend um, that, you know, HAP, the state, is paying, you know, IRES REIT, you know, that the housing assistance payment that the government is to, is sourcing so much housing, you know, renting a third of the private rental sector and expanding all the time that it is the permanent market for these investment funds as well. And I'd say when you're asking who's letting, you know, you said yourself, what, what were the figures you came up with? 
Yeah, so that, that's <laughs> what did you came up with. <laughs> oh yeah, I just made the, the I, found, I found a nice middle point where the figures were believable enough, but not too mad. <laughs> um, so I, I, it was actually someone got um, got in touch with me on on Twitter, and I, I'm not sure if I, I won't share their name, but like this is what's helpful. And people, you, this is what you see in the background. People actually come to you with ideas, like you should ask this question. So I did yeah. went and ask that question. So I asked Dublin City Council how much of um, housing assistance payment, just to try and te- test the wires what information I could get, very yeah. specific, What? how much housing assistance payment is going to Irish REIT in 2020 and 2021. This is the and Irish the, residential... Um, yes, this is the largest land, largest landlord in the state, with about 3,800 homes, I think now, yeah. um, mostly apartments. They're and, a Canadian-based, Canadian-sourced yeah, fund that... Uh, our um, IRES reach, as you said, mm-hmm. close to four thousand apartments now. Units. And they're looking at they're looking at expanding into other yeah. cities, but for now they're just working in Dublin, working in Dublin. And so they have increased their off the top of my head the figures. It was from they, they increased their their take from the housing assistance payment, which is a, a measure to kind of prevent people going to homelessness or help people who can't afford their rent. Um, they're they're taking seven point. It was a one point one million difference between twenty twenty and twenty twenty one. I really wish I remembered the figures off the top of my head, but it's a tenth of their overall take, and it went to the eight point one million. I think yeah, that's think, what you, yeah, yeah, um, from twenty twenty one. But it was more that I think I, I got those figures and I was looking at them, and then it just dawned on me. It's like I wonder how much of that take that increase between twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one account for their actual uplift in revenues. And you see two thirds of their revenue increase between the year, two years, between the first half of 2020 and the first half of 2021 was from HAP. So they were making 1.1, their two thirds of all their extra revenue was coming from increases in HAP. And that's where you start to see rent st- subsidies from the state driving rental inflation because that's not, no, that's not real demand money. That's kind of fake money coming into a market that has propped out increased in price where so that's why i think that's really interesting that, that how much of iris reads actual revenue growth is attached to the state saying here's extra money for hap and uh, now there's a bit of a chicken and egg here with they have to kind of ask for it first but if they don't they ask for they don't get it then rents have to fall to kind of because they because there's no rent there's no money there to increase them and um, so i think it's interesting and i'm going to look into it more to see how much in hap is actually going out these big landlords not the small necessarily land but the bigger landlords because I think it's interesting to see how they can use that system to drive rental inflation and guaranteed income as well, isn't it? That's 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 what the whole rental system is broken at the moment, and so much of the st- money in the rental market is just guaranteed money for funds and and, and PRS operators because they know we can get this money from HAP, we can get this money from leasing social housing. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and and to a certain extent, it answers that question of how you can have this ongoing supply of rents that are of property at unaffordable rents and where is the who can afford to pay it and it's the state but of course increasingly as well you know we know that the limits between HAP and the actual rent so you have people there's a gap between that because the limits haven't been increased so people are paying a top up on top of the rent they pay to the local authority when they're in receipt of HAP Um, and you know there is that issue but it does seem um, incredible that IRES REIT, as you said, made eight million in, you know, revenue from the housing assistance payment from state money. Over was that over how many years? That wasn't in one year, was it? That was one year, yeah. Eight million in one year. Yeah, eight, eight, yeah. Well, that's that's that, that that and that's 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 how it's accounting for about ten percent of the revenues now. More than ten percent of the revenues, which. 
Did you, which, did you calculate ta- how many tenants must that be? How many? They're, they're, they have four. I think it was four hundred eighty-three. Four hundred eighty-three. Um, yeah. So that's over close to. That's homeless half and their... mainstream. That's homeless and mainstream half. The two yeah. from the two different streams. Yeah, you're talking about over probably close to heading over fifteen percent of their tenants are half tenants. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but ten to fifteen percent now of their other tenants are half. Yeah. So, like, it's yeah. it's just interesting. And again, that maybe that maybe that tallies up with that. You know, in part five, um, developers now ten percent are meant to be social housing. So, you know, if these fun, if fund funds expanding here in the next few years will have a baseline of social tenants in their in their developments. So, it, but it's it's still interesting to see how that operate operates in per, in. in uh, operates in practice across a landlord that already but has we a see huge part portfolio. five should not be a half payment a part no, it, five... no it should no it, no it shouldn't so they'll, they'll also be getting a part five on top of that and that's yeah. something that dawned to me when i was doing my piece i didn't ask for what how many part five tenants they have which would be another chunk of their especially if they're developing and getting we more see part five should be leasing or sold to the local mm-hmm. authority it shouldn't but be most built to rent is going leasing now pardon most build to most build to rent developers. So the the funds building apartment blocks, they're not selling to the local party. They're leasing them instead. They're leasing them. Yeah, I saw figures yeah. there in the weekend with a build to rent proposing. I think in in um somewhere in South Dublin, six hundred thousand to sell uh social housing property to the state under Part Five. But I think what it highlights is is the problem with our our housing policy that's so dependent, our social housing policy that's so that's been driven over the last 20 years to rely on the private rental sector rather than building actual social housing, that this is what it is. It's now it's it's underwriting investment in the private rental sector by investor funds. And doesn't that come back to the point where we were talking earlier about it, the government, they, it's out of their hands to fix it. They're not controlling. They, they say it's a supply and demand issue, but they refuse to control supply. Yeah. And I, I, at this stage, maybe refuse again. Let's be well, very. I, I try to be very fair, but let's, they're, they're not. They're not doing it. They're really not. Not of any. Not of any substance. To actually, be meaningfully say be able to stand over the fact that they're building social housing, and you will yeah. get commentators from 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 government who are pro government who are involved in the government parties, Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil, um, Green Party will say they're building social housing. They're not building social housing. They're buying social housing. To build social housing, you have to be the developer. And that doesn't yeah. mean forward funding developer. That, that's that's not the same thing. It's absolutely not the same. You if the actually the developer, you own you have the land and you're subcon cutting a contractor in. And, and it's interesting when we see as well, then when we go on to house prices and how house prices continue to rise, that again, like I can't see house prices falling anytime soon because the lack of provision. Of again affordable housing by the state that there's no you know the land development agency is supposed to be building cost rental homes you know obviously we have a cool on building affordable homes but it's nothing on the scale that would have any impact on the market and therefore- well, what the, but also if you look at the average rents at the moment the average rents are above what the average mortgage drawdown is so until those are level there'll be still housing house price increases because that's nearly a test what people can afford to pay. If the average rent is sixteen hundred, let's say, in in the rental market, those those are really who you're look. Those are who probably looking to buy in an Irish context because most people want to get out of the rental market and buy. So if they're paying sixteen hundred euro a month in rent, but the average drawdown for a mortgage is thousand two hundred, then that means there's a four hundred euro gap there where people there's clearly a bunch of people who can afford to pay sixteen hundred. So that's why house prices are increasing. And until those two level off or one overtakes another. There'll be still house price increases. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. 
I think the issue is, as well as that, that the issue, though, is on two levels. One, if they're paying 1600 a month in rent, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's affordable. They could be paying 40, 50% of their take-home income. And the issue is that you have central bank rules in place that are restricting you know, um, the amount people can borrow. And therefore, as long as those rules are in place, you have some break on that. But of course, what the central bank rules don't have any break on is the amount people get from parents from you know essentially the gifts which we know are driving up prices as well and i suppose it's more of the inequality within the housing market and what, what do you think about the argument that, that the central bank rules at this point should be um changed to take into account for example peeping people being able to pay a higher rent people paying a higher rent than the mortgage it's just it'll just drive up prices <laughs> there's no is there like is it's anyone sees it really realistically putting forward an argument that it won't push up prices like every 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 interjection in the market by the government has served to drive up prices like there's unless there would have to be some unforetold we that we um um emergence in the market or something to happen in the market like for let's say shared equity it to not not increase prices and in, in, in property same with same with central bank rules well I, I don't really see anyone putting forward an argument how they wouldn't increase like it would give people more access to money and get more people on the ladder but by doing that you just if there's more people who can buy homes and there's restricted supply is no no one's disagreeing there's a restricted supply and no one's disagreeing probably between ourselves that, that there's there shouldn't be more supply but if you but in the current market where we're not meeting the amount of demand and you have more people with money, there's a serve to drive up prices. I don't really see how changing them. Like we're in a we're in a sticky situation where we actually ne- probably can never really change them until demand is is overtaken by supply, and supply will never overtake demand. Why Not when it? you rely on the market. But this comes back to the question of the state. The state could actually provide affordable housing and build affordable housing, and that would create a supply that could actually bring down house prices and that's the question of the land development agency is the land development agency the the knight of shining armor on the the, the horse to to deliver affordable housing on scale well no not not not, not on the price of their quoting like again i again it's and he was um oh, it's the uh Called uh, the head of the land development agency, the CEO, because there's two. The, some people for the chairman as the head, the CEO as the head. Um, Coleman, the head of the, uh, the the CEO of land development agency, was on radio last year, and he was finally challenged on something I wrote about before, which is you know the cost rental prices. Keep saying people say keeps governments keep saying we've got cost rental units coming, we've got cost rental units coming, and there are cost rental units coming, and no doubt that they will. But it'll all depend on what price you have the market at. And if you look at the land development agency, when they eventually plan on getting to, to any significant level of, of supply, they will be charging €1,100 a month in rent for a one bed. In what world is that affordable for people who will be, again, looking to access cost rental? So you, like, let's strip away what like what people can afford. As I said, it's, it's not about people can afford to pay, it's what they should be afforded to pay, should, re, should really be paying. That's way above housing stress levels or housing poverty levels for anyone on me, even median incomes. And there's not, the median income is, you know, it's a lot of people below the median income and a lot of people, there's mainly people below the median income who will be looking for cost rental homes. So 
that's I, I until they fix that, I don't. That's a dead in the water. And if you look at the Department of Health, Housing Agency's own assessment of cost rental, they did a big report in the last year. They say there's no way that the we that you were talking last week about the coupled cost rental and affordable housing to market prices or the reduction on market prices essentially. The re, that's the, re, the reason that is because they actually can't afford to build them cheaper than current market rents. So we've got cost rental. They've looked at, they've done the numbers and they, they looked at a lot of um, social housing development they built recently in all over the country for cost rent. And they said, what if we turn them into cost rental? And they showed that if they did them, for co- if they built them as cost rental units, they would cost, the rent in them would cost more than the local average rent. So it co- it, it, they'll have to charge more than the 1600 euro a month, really. You know, that's why they've that's why they've put them at twenty percent, twenty five percent less of market income. Am I making sense there? Like, it's, yeah, it's, it's, well, they, it's but but well, it's a broken system. That, that that won't work. Exactly, it, it's utterly broken, and it comes back to the question of investment and cost. And at the moment, we treat housing as a cost, um, rather than a social investment. Um, it's seen as a cost or it's seen as a, a property commodity investment. And when you look at that, it comes back to the state has to subsidize more the provision of affordable housing. So if the state should be giving borrowing more to enable the LDA to build and then rent out at below cost rather than an actual cost. But also the issue is the land, is the land factor, the price they're putting in, you know, on. I think that there is a real problem here, which essentially they're putting market sort of uh, the market dynamics onto the land development agency rather than well, saying... What you just described there is HAP. <laughs> it's government-built HAP. But it's not actually sense- how it rental. Like, they're just building to subsidise. That, and that's, that's a long... I, that can't, I, well, I can't end. That, there's no end to that. But you see, the point is, though is, if you have the land development agency there and it has land, public land, okay, and you're saying it's going to cost the land development agency, let's say, 300000 to build an apartment, okay? The rent on that, you're saying, will be, let's say, 1200 for a one-bed, okay? Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is the state goes, yep, that's what it costs us to build, but we're going to subsidize that as we, for example, give a 100000 uh, service site fund for affordable housing. That brings down the cost of the uh, constru- of the production of that house to 200,000, which then brings down the rent we charge. And because it is public housing, it's going to be cost rental housing into the future. It justifies that. That's not cost rental housing. Cost rental housing is, uh, it, it, this is where we're getting, where the government needs to admit that they have very, maybe they shouldn't, maybe this is actually probably a bad idea, but they, if they were really being honest, they'd admit they have very little control over what's going on at the moment. Yeah, that, that's because the they, point. They're, they're redefining what affordable housing and cost rental housing is, and they're trying to like fudge it all. But because if if anyone knew that they have very little control over it, then they'd be in deeper trouble. Because then they well, can't no, even it, that'd be widespread panic. Then even more widespread. It's not panic. that they don't have control. Well, they don't have control because they've put themselves in the place that they don't have control over it. They could have control over it if they wanted to. Can, can the, like if, if the cost of construction though it is at the level it's at now where it, it does cost let's say let's say we believe industry figures and of course they will put this figure out there but it is put out that it's 450,000 euro on average to build an apartment in Dublin and that's actually it's nearly a nonsense figure because it's an average of what it costs to build in so many different pockets of the city that are that is it actually possible to build for 450,000 in Dublin, in Dublin 
not in city centre. It costs like 600, 900,000 there apparently to build at like break even costs. And it costs maybe 400, 350,000 outside the M50, if not even further, um, to build. But if those are the costs to build, then we're, we're really locked in a very vicious cycle of housing costs it, like, going out of control. But this comes years. back to the point that there's two things on that. One is that we know that's not the actual material build cost, that that's cost of financing, that's cost of the land, whereas the state has land. And this is the, the issue with the Land Development Agency, that it depends what cost of land it puts in there. And that's my point. And also the state could set up a state building company to actually build at cheaper than the market. And that's my point. That the state could have control over this if it wanted to. Would that not be anti-competitive in the, in, in the break-EU competition rules that the state can't disrupt the normal business environment? Well, you see, this is the question of the, the state EU rules. Housing is a particular area that has opt-outs out of state competition rules and fiscal rules because it's, it's not a general market service. And there are also, and I was looking up at this, looking this up in terms of NAMA and what could be done with NAMA. And in response to COVID, uh, the EU Commission said that the rules could be suspended, the state aid rules, where there was issues of the economic, um, can't remember where the word was, competitiveness or the economic viability or something like that of the state was in jeopardy. And it could be very easily argued that the housing need in Ireland is, and the European Commission has accepted and has actually pointed out, the housing need in Ireland is jeopardizing our economy. And on that basis, you can suspend the EU state aid rules. And then surely then, you probably said, bolstering the, the, the um, housing rights and um, right to housing would bolster that. Absolutely, it would. Yeah. But I think, I think that if the government, uh, the European Commission itself in its most latest reports to Ireland has said you know, the housing crisis is, and, you know, Pascal Donahue was reported of, you know, the commissioner, he talked to the commission, the commission talked to him about the, the economic impact of the housing crisis on Ireland, that that's recognised, that therefore there is a suspension of EU um, state aid rules. But if you sent up, set up a construction company, a state construction company that was employing, let's say, at a max 10,000 construction workers, that, that's still only a fraction of the total 150,000 construction mm-hmm. workforce we have. So it's not, and if it's if it's building social housing, for example, which are outside the market, then it's not disrupting. Do you know what I mean? State aid, and and I, th- and I think the argument for oh, you know, if you hire all them and then what will you do when they're finished? It's like, don't worry, they'll never be finished. <laughs> exactly, they're, they're, <laughs> and, be, and they could be also worried, be retrofitting I think you'd be more as well. Worried about, yeah, with, uh, I was just about to say, yeah, let's say, say that too. There's no reason that if you got close, to, let's say somehow that housing building agency got close to meeting some form of demand. It's like, well, let's pivot them into building other infrastructure. Like building is like, they're, they're good workers, versatile workers. They can pivot from doing office developments, hotels into house. They, they could, they could do other infrastructure work if it got, but it really don't. That whole argument now is falling apart very quickly in that there's, there's been so many stages that you look back over, um, over the last maybe 20 years and say, well, we did that, you know, what they on they'd be on the state books. We've had a bunch of builders and contractors working with the state. And what we do with them is like it's all over the years. It's been perfect examples. You would have had them building throughout the whole recession. Yeah, a, per, a brilliant time to be building homes, and we would have been again go back to strengthening the economy. Yeah, like if our imagine Ireland could have really, and it's a big could, but 
Ireland could be one that could have emerged from be now if it, if it did what really it should have done during the recession with with when it formed AMA and turned really started really building social homes and building housing um, on those state lands that it, that it got it could be like one of the even stronger econ- economies in, in Europe we'd be on the front of Time magazine and, and the economists saying the, the one city in, in Europe that doesn't have a housing crisis or yeah. one the one country and that's a huge missed opportunity and again, that's what, and that, and I think it's interesting to see that businesses are starting to notice that, and and they're and it's starting to become a question they can't dodge as much because for a while Google felt immune to it, let's say, because they're yeah. they're the average. I think the average income in their actual people who actually work for Google Limited, Ireland Limited, not their contractors, the people who actually work for Google, um, they are on one hundred and ten thousand average, so they are yeah. completely immune to any any, and, and they maybe would be willing to naively absorb any increases in their rent over the years uh, and we'll be able to afford the likes of Capital Talk and, and maybe Griff, Griffith would. Um, but then, then now they're not anymore. And or now they're seeing that actually who, who cares if our workers can afford to live in the city? It's whether the people who are, provide services around the tech community can actually live there. And that's the problem we're in now, isn't it? That, and that's a, that's a really big threat to Dublin and Ireland in general. It, it absolutely is. And I think that that's kind of, the broader and broader acceptance that, you know, that unless you provide affordable housing for people, you're not going to develop the workforce. The workforce isn't going to stay. You're not going to attract people. People are leaving. Um, and I think that that's still the nut that we have to crack. The acceptance, I think, is still that the state has to play a central role in delivering affordable housing. It's the only way it'll be done. Um uh, otherwise, we're just going to continue in the crisis. But listen, la- last uh, question to you, um, and uh, you can answer this whatever way you want. Uh, what did you think of the housing debate in primetime? So, like, it wasn't a debate in that it was too, like, well, again, just constructive criticism. It, it was um, because I've seen, like, I think Fran McNulty's been very good at, at, at he, he did a great interview with Dara Bryan, I think it was last year. Yeah. Um, and he's, he's he's really good at the one on he was really good one on one. But I felt it was just two interviews that happened with two men who happened to be sitting beside each other. It was really they were completely separate interviews. It yeah. was it was it, it would turned into a what can it, it maybe maybe this is a bit but it, they were all the questions directed to Shinpei. Owner Brim was asked questions that kind of you should be asking of the housing minister. He was seen to be answering questions for like a hypothetical situation where okay, if you were in his shoes, what would you do? Mm. That's kind of more. That's more of an interview of what hit Sinn Fein's housing policies. There was very little of them going at each other, and I, I think it was I, there was I, I refused. There was no winner really. I didn't think there was a winner in it. In that there wasn't a debate in the first place. Neither got to actually debate debate the other side. And it's difficult. I, I've never moderated a debate like that. But I did in college, and it was a, a mess. So I, maybe I should keep my mouth shut. But it's it's hard to moderate. It is hard to moderate a debate rather than have a one on one hard hard hitting interview. But that seemed that's that's what I thought from it. It was a bit disappointing in that they didn't really go at each other. Um, you know. But then again, how do you rein that in? It shouldn't just be Owner Breen challenging Dara Bryan on every figure under the sun that he's missed or that the Department of Housing has missed or the government has missed. But I thought it it just it wasn't really debate at all. Anyone to to talk about. What do you think? You, you didn't learn anything new from it in terms of policies or what might happen or what would Sinn Féin's be positioning government or no, no, not really. And I think it was wasn't it was a put during the debate or did I hear it elsewhere that you know Sinn Féin are meeting with 
um, private, like they're meeting with these developers and stuff like that. So that's was that in the debate or am I, am that I was in debate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's is that a weird line of questioning? Like, I, the, Sinn Fein will have to deal with some if, if let's say they get in at the latest possible, the soonest possible opportunity, which would be not the next election. Well, that's not the soonest, but that's the next possible opportunity with, that we know of, which is the next election. It will likely take them. They might be able, maybe they have some really smart things that work in the short term that, that would help them, but likely they'll have to deal with the current scenario while they put in place their own housing policy. Like they don't want completions or commencements to fall off a cliff so that there's a you know disaster, even worse disaster in, their, in the opening period of their first state and sentient government. So, of course, they're going to deal with them, but all parties meet with all these people all the time. Yeah, you know, they, like, it, it that's, not, that's not really new. Yeah, where it was very much portrayed as trying to portray it as, you know, Sinn Féin compromising on its policies. But I was struck by, um, I have to say, Owen, when he was asked about the investor funds, he didn't say, he, if I remember correctly, that he would change any policy on that. Yeah, like, but I think there is some appetite for them to be operating in the Irish market. Like, there is some scope for them to operate in Ireland. It's just that it's gotten out of control at the moment. But the question um, is, how do you rein them in? Rein them in with taxes, <laughs> probably. But, but that's just, what I would have thought, and and, and I was surprised at that 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 wasn't Owen's response. That he didn't say, "Yeah, we would put mm. increased a, taxes or put a a decent tax on them." That's a good point. Then maybe he sees that they're actually likely the investment funds are likely to be one of the biggest deliverers of affordable housing when Sinn Féin are in government, if Sinn Féin are in government um, next time. because Investor funds when, aren't going to be the biggest deliverer of affordable housing. They, they could be. They absolutely could be because the, because 10% of all their stock will be going towards it. Oh. <laughs> when that would actually be affordable housing. The state would be well, paying no, no, through but, its nose. Yeah, well, that's for... yeah, exactly. Ex- yeah, but in, the, in this... In this, yeah, let, let's go with the Irish definition of affordable housing at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I know yeah, this is the thing. This, this is quite like the, literally the definitions of words is being rewritten at the moment yeah. <laughs> by the Irish government. But um, so let's say, yeah, take for granted with the Irish government's interpretation of affordable housing. Yeah. Um, in in the affordable housing bill, that will be they will be the biggest deliverer, one of the biggest deliverers of it, because when they do, when that when that new rule kicks in for part five, where ten percent of all the developments have to go for affordable, and then another ten percent for social, they'll be quite a big deliverer to the market. So, if you cut that head off, or you spook it, then all those mightn't happen. I don't. I, I don't know. I don't it's know. Hard, it's hard to know. I, who's I telling think, the truth anymore, I, Rory. You know, huh? I, it's hard to know who's telling the truth. Thing. Like I, I, it, it is. It does. It, it does come down to people just fudging what is actually going to happen. What's actually in, in, in the interest of business? Yeah. In the interest I of was, making money. I was struck as well, though, how Fran McNulty didn't push the minister more. I felt he was very much left away with two questions. One was the homelessness issue and evictions from the private rental sector. I really felt that he was, you know, not questioned at all about a, you know, a crisis that's ongoing um, on that. And the other was the question of, of actually delivering affordable housing. How are actually you delivering affordable housing to buy? And the idea that a lot of the supply that's coming on board is not an affordable supply. Yeah, but the, the not asking about homelessness is is it's it's not as big an issue for voters, really, isn't it? Like people don't really care that much about. It, oh, a I lot think. of people care about it. Oh, a lot. Not not. It's it's not going. But are you? If if really if a lot of people cared about it, truly cared about it, then the last result of the election would have been different. 
I think there's like, a significant proportion of people, people who care about it. They, they, it's not that they don't, they don't. It's not their decision. It's not the reason they're going to decide who to vote. Really, it, it, and, and that's see, that's where you see. Look, that's what you see at the weekend. This stuff about cost of living now is over, overtaken the housing crisis because it affects more people. And all of a sudden, oh yeah, actually no, my I, my heating now is more expensive. I need I have to put more money into my diesel car to go up cycling in the mountains at the weekend. Like that's the that's the tip. Like this is what people actually people are selfish yeah. and they care more about what what's on their doorstep. Yeah. Um, no, because Rory, how long how long is it really that homes has been in crisis? You know. Since like, about 2013 well, now, 2012. Yeah, exactly. That's a, that's a long time. Yeah. A you know? and, 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 and it's not really forced, not really much been done to tackle it. It's been routine. There has been, I would say, a, an absolute scandal that has never had any repercussions for it in that they were miscounting or double or they were fudging the numbers and that, mm. how bad it was. That no, no one was ever held to account for that. Mm. That's that's ridiculous, that, but and the fact that no one was interested in that when it was that was reported, or not as many people were, you know, we, like we've again European Commission uh, experts on it challenging the government, saying that that's really like you're but, still fudging the numbers. But the obligation of the media, surely, so. the obligation of the media surely should be to question these things, you know, in many not be swayed by what you know, uh, what the perception of what public, but we know homelessness is a concern to the public. And we know homelessness is one of the key social housing issues that the Minister for Housing is responsible for. So I just don't understand why he wasn't questioned more on it. Yeah, no, they, I'm not saying it shouldn't be. I'm just, I'm just trying to give you an answer, maybe why why it wasn't. It's, why it's it wasn't? Not, yeah, it's they're like in 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 they're maybe trying to appeal to a broader base of what people wanted to hear about, um, like. <laughs> It was a really good. I thought it was a really good week of content from yeah. prime time. Honestly, yeah. like they really. I thought, like, um, particularly Mark Coughlin's piece on it was like what he packed into that. You know how hard it is to write about some of those subjects, and yeah. and really, without every every paragraph having a glossary to give context to it, it's actually quite like what well, I think he did very well in in breaking it down. But, you're, but and what, Louise what there, as well. What, I thought Louise's oh, Louise's Louise articles Louise. were very very good, and they're worth and, checking out. And just to to point yeah, people then, to them, they're on the primetime RT website, and they are they've they're packed full of uh, detail and analysis on the housing crisis, which was great to give it the coverage. And then it was refreshing to hear like you know fact based <laughs> data and, and fact based information being used to debunk a, a, a particular commentator's <laughs> point of view that is archaic at this stage. But what what of the what very little was, was focused on homelessness. Yeah, and uh, maybe young and in all fairness, the, the the focus was on the generation gap, um, around the question of affordability and, and purchase. But I was struck as well by that generation gap. They are the ones who are homeless. It's all people in their twenties. A lot of people, most people in their who are homeless, are young families in their twenties and thirties. So I was. Yeah, but that, that's they're the ones most acutely affected. They're the people who have been squeezed the most, in that yeah. they have fallen into the the most dire need of state intervention which is homeless hop where you, there's like significant money been thrown at that to try and prevent people becoming homeless people can put can put up in hotels but they are the ones who are the most acute folks but i'm saying so i'm saying it's not it isn't good enough that there wasn't more focus on homelessness but there is this a lot of media is focused around 
from last year with the, the suffering Mullen Park and the investor funds buying homes, it's what effect, a lot of media is driven by what affects the middle class. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that's that's that's, that's the, the reality. To, that is the reality. That's why yeah. maybe it didn't come up. Yeah. No, it was good. It was good. I have to say it was interesting. It was a great, great, as I said, great for it to, to be covered um, by RT and the debate was interesting and um, it'd be interesting to see more as we go along. And um, also your ongoing coverage in the Sunday Business Post, of course, is always worth checking out for, for great coverage and analysis. Um, so oh, listen, sure. Killian. So is, so is yours in the Irish. So is yours in the Irish Examiner. I like, oh. you know, it's that's some effort pumping them out. It takes a fair bit of work, all right. It's definitely yep. uh, um, burning the candles at all sorts of ends, and uh, <laughs> it is. Yeah, no, they've they've. It's been great to get the opportunity to do that. Um, it's been great that the examiner has given me that opportunity, and um, you know, I think I'm getting good feedback from them. People are getting seem to be getting quite a bit out of them, so that's great. Well, they're yeah, I think they're like uh, you write it when you write about now. There was a piece about Nama last year, and it was just broke down very well because I, we a lot of our commentary in in Ireland in opinion sections and so on, there's a few columns like I would say yourself get it right is that it's they bring it kind of an academic slant to it, it mm. it's it's that I'm not just going to say what I think yeah. I, I feel <laughs> what, what I'm so boy I think I feel I'm going to say what what someone told is. me on the bus yeah well but, but, and, and there's and, and sometimes that sort of hearsay stuff can be the idea to get into something yes but yeah, then when course, it when yeah. the when the idea then is all of a sudden like when the person on the bus is their own source backing themselves up <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Where, what's your source of information and i think there's a lot of commentary in Ireland that doesn't really have that kind of fundamental baseline of like oh no but i found this idea it's a quirk and actually it's true <laughs> it, yeah, here, yeah and here's how we solve it and here's where we could actually chip away at it and i tried it and crucially i chatted to someone else about it <laughs> so like a lot of the best analysis is that um yeah. i think that's i love that's why i love um do you read simon cooper in the ft yeah he's great because he's a columnist and he doesn't have much, he actually doesn't have much space um in it but he still manages to chat to like three or four people and give his own view and that's yeah sick. and a lot of columnists don't do that in their own it's more just their own view yes yeah 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 uh, yeah. yeah yeah cool all right well listen great to catch up killian yeah good to catch up Rory. it's good to see you yeah, we nearly yeah. matched. I nearly wore that nearly. I nearly wore that exact same top. Obviously, this is not good for podcast content, but we. I, I was. I put a jumper on because it's a bit cold here, but I was wearing nearly the exact same top as you. This is my blue running top from about ten years ago. Oh, right. Was it your blue running no. top as well? No, it, it's my kind of petrol green, petrol blue running top. <sighs> Oh, stop! Yeah, they they love to hear what what we're actually wearing, Killian. But you have a lovely new haircut, anyway. That's the most oh, important. Thanks. Yeah, thing. I've been told it makes me look taller. Yeah, yeah. I can't see you standing up, but yeah, I'm <laughs> sure it does. <laughs> Listen, Killian. Great to chat as always. Brilliant. Thanks, for thanks so much. And that was Killian Woods, uh, senior business reporter with the Sunday Business Post, um, bringing us through housing, where it's at today in Ireland, and where it's going, and. Lots of really interesting stuff there and challenging. And yeah, it's always great to read uh, Killian's pieces in the Business Post. They are really important analysis um, and information. Great journalism. So fair play, Killian. Keep it. Uh, keep at it. Um, I know the listeners love the episodes as well. We get great feedback from them. Um, so as always, listeners, please, we put out the appeal. Uh, Reboot Republic is a podcast that is dependent on its listeners to keep it going. We have no ads, no sponsorship. Our listeners support us each week by 
um, going over to patreon.com, become a patron, sign up for whatever you can, a fiver, 10 or 20 euro each month, and you support us to keep going, cover the cost of production. Thank you to Tony Groves of Actor to Shack Media. He produces the podcast. That's where it comes from. Um, so thanks, Tony. And we will talk to you all soon. 